We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's one, Sean. Just the, thank you for the super chat, John Bertucci. Appreciate that very much. Just for fun, if Michigan, Notre Dame, and Georgia, Oklahoma, and Washington all go undefeated, and Alabama George, loses to Georgia by one, what teams miss the playoff? I think in that instance, Bama clearly misses the playoff yeah. in that instance. I think the other one would probably miss – let me let me see here, Sean. I, I don't know. Is that Oklahoma? Okay. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what he means is Oklahoma. Oh, you, oh okay. Yeah, I think that's Oklahoma. Let me see what Washington's football s- schedule is this year. They got to go. Washington to Michigan have State. to be. Mm-hmm. They they play Boise and Michigan State on the road. They'd have to play. They'd have to beat USC on the road. They'd have to beat Oregon State on the road, Utah and Oregon. That's a tough schedule. That's yeah, a very wa- challenging schedule. Washington would be in. Let me see what Oklahoma has this that. year. Let me see what because Notre Dame's in if they're undefeated. That's a yeah. that's a that's a no brainer because of the the quality of their schedule. Yeah, let's see what Oklahoma has this year. So Oklahoma, let's see what the Sooners have schedule wise here. Sean, they play Arkansas State, SMU at Tulsa at a conference. Not very challenging. They do play at Cincinnati, who I don't believe is a preseason top twenty five team. They play Texas on a neutral field. They play Iowa State, UCF, at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, home against West Virginia, at BYU, home against TCU. Barring a bunch of those Big 12 teams being better than I think they are, that's Michigan, Notre Dame, Georgia, and Washington, in my opinion. Because I think the the top level of the Pac-12, in my view, is going to be better than the Big 12, and and Washington has to play all of them. They have to play Oregon, they have to play Oregon State, they have to play USC, and they have to play Utah. The only good team in the Big Twelve, Big Pac Twelve, they don't play is UCLA. And if Washington's undefeated, Sean, they're going to have to beat one of those teams twice to win the Pac Twelve championship game. So yeah. if USC, Oregon, Oregon State, and and Utah, they're probably going to play one of those teams twice to be undefeated. That's a they're easily in. Yeah. Notre Dame is in if they're undefeated. You, Georgia's c- clearly in if they're undefeated. And then Michigan, if they now you, we could argue that Michigan's overall schedule is not tough enough to get in undefeated over an undefeated Oklahoma. 
But the problem with Oklahoma is going to have is I don't know that Oklahoma's schedule has the top end that Ohio State and Penn State are for Michigan. That's the problem for me. Because just who? what's the big win for Oklahoma if they go undefeated? Texas? What's it after that? Maybe they don't have to beat Texas twice, maybe. What's their big one after that? TCU? Oklahoma State? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, you know, TCU what's probably. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. Think, I don't think TCU is going to be nearly as good this year. Yeah. Whereas Michigan, their schedule's a joke. It's a <laughs> joke. Very much so. But if they're 13 and 0, that means they've beat Ohio State. That means they beat Penn State yep. and either Iowa, Wisconsin, somebody like that. And fair or not, those two wins are going to be better than anything Oklahoma does. Yeah. In my from a, even from the very least from a perception standpoint. So if Oklahoma's, I'll tell you what. Best chance for Oklahoma – this is going to sound crazy, Sean, but best chance for Oklahoma to get, get in – this is going to sound nuts, and you can tell me if I'm nuts for saying this. The best chance for them to get in is to actually lose to Texas in the regular season, have Texas run the table, be ranked really high, and then come and back and beat. beat them in the title game, and then hope that those other teams are not undefeated. Right, because at least then Oklahoma can make or Texas can maybe rise up the rankings enough to where you you're beating a playoff team in the championship game, as opposed right. to if they beat Texas twice and Texas isn't ranked really high anymore. Now you've lost your your only good wins like that. But yeah. the counter argument is if Notre Dame and Michigan are undefeated, that means Ohio State has two losses as well, and you wonder where they're going to be ranked. Right. So it, it's going to be interesting. I, I that's something that's never happened. I don't think we've ever had four undefeated teams in the playoff. Correct. No, last year we didn't. No. The closest I think we got 2018, I think was the first time, Sean, that we had um, three undefeated teams. I think you're right. I, I believe that was the first year that we had that. Uh, let me let me go find it here. That was the year that Clemson won it all. 
Yes, Notre Dame was undefeated. Bam was undefeated. Uh, Oklahoma that year lost to Texas in the regular season and then beat them in the conference championship game. 2019, you had, I think, three undefeated teams. Clemson was undefeated. LSU was undefeated. Ohio State was undefeated. And Oklahoma had a loss, right? Yeah, Ohio State was undefeated. And then Oklahoma had, yeah, Oklahoma that year lost to Kansas State. So 2020, obviously no undefeated teams because Notre Dame had a loss, So and so did Clemson. No, yes, they both had losses. They beat each other. And then last year, uh, or Bama had, or Georgia had a loss the year before, right? At least, the very least. And then last year, TCU lost. So, yeah, we've never had four undefeated teams at the end of the year, at least power five wise. So that would be a first. And I honestly, Sean, with as much, I don't say parody, I just think there's going to be some really quality battles in conferences. I, I'd be shocked if there's more than two or three undefeated teams in the leagues this year. Like it's going to be much harder for Clemson to run the table or Florida State to run the table if they're the winner of the ACC than it was for, I mean, not that those Clemson teams weren't great, Sean, but in 2018, the ACC sucked in 2018. It did. Like Florida State in 2013. That was a great Florida State team. That league sucked that year. I mean, it was bad. Their schedule was terrible. SEC, it's going to be hard to run the table in the SEC this year. The only team with a shot to me is Georgia because their schedule's pretty soft. <laughs> champ, let's be honest. Yeah. Bama, I mean, it, I'll be shocked if there's an undefeated SEC West team at the end of the year. Shocked. Like all the hype that people have about the SEC West, this is one of those years where I actually believe it to be true. This is a there's no great team in the SEC West. Like there's no Bama's not Bama. LSU's not what they were in 19, but they're both really good. Auburn's going to be better under Hugh Freeze. Mississippi State, we'll see what they're going to be. I think Ole Miss is going to be pretty good. They had a really good transfer portal process. I think Texas A&M is going to be better, especially if he lets uh, uh, Bobby Petrino actually run that offense. I think there's still a lot of talent there. I love uh, Connor Wegman as a quarterback. If Bobby Petrino can coach, is allowed to coach the offense the way that he wants. And I think Arkansas has a chance to be a pretty quality team. And so since LSU and Alabama aren't what they've been in the past, although still really good, we could see a lot of teams kind of knocking each other off, which is exactly what happened in the SEC West last year. So I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw last year, Sean, where there's just the, the East the East champ dominates and then the West battles it out all year. So, um, yeah. you So on that four, Sean, we both agree Oklahoma's out. Yep. And Alabama's not in. Alabama well, you didn't, Oklahoma was out. Before you even went to the schedules for me, because yeah. I knew. <laughs> the question would be, does Bama get in over Washington? I think that would be the no. debate. But I think no. when you look at the per- the perception of the back 12 could hurt Washington. But if they're 13-0 and and they had to beat USC twice, Oregon twice, and I just have – I have a hard uh, – there'd be a lot of um, lot of uh, upset people rightfully if that were, if that were true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anthony Solomon, Super Chat. Thank you, Anthony. He said, would a scenario of having your quarterback start two years leave and his replacement start the next two years and this become the norm at Notre Dame? I mean, that's the norm at championship programs. Right. You know? what? Two has started full, two full years, right? Yeah. Mac Jones only one. And then, although I don't think they anticipated Mac only starting one. I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they went out year saying, Mac's going to be, you know – yeah. set records and be gone. Uh, Bryce was two, right? I mean, so they did that there. 
Clemson's <laughs> the only exception because Trevor started as a true freshman, but that doesn't happen in most places, no, right? No. Justin Fields is only two at Ohio State, right? 19 only and two. 20? Yep. I'm trying to think. Caleb Williams will, will be a two-year start at USC, but he would have been three uh, if he would have gone there out of high school. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Baker was a three, and then Kyler was a one, so it was kind of – you know, bounce itself out. Jalen Hurts yeah. was one. So yeah, minimum minimum two years. I mean, it, no, all times, not more than two years. I think the exception, Sean, is basically if a guy if a guy starts as a freshman, obviously, that's the exception. I'm trying to think, who who of, like, Joe Burrow was a two-year starter? Yeah. Right? Like. That's pretty much par for the course. Right yeah, I think you could go three and two, could get into some of those if a guy takes over. Like if Kenny Minchie wins a starting job and holds on to it, he'll be he'll has a better shot at being a three year starter than a two year starter. I don't see Kenny Minchie going pro after his junior year of college. Yeah. Maybe redshirt junior year, but not true junior year, yeah. in my opinion. The only exception would be is like he takes over in like game three this year and you know, builds on it that way. But mm-hmm. I even then I don't I don't think Kenny's that kind of guy. It. Yeah. I don't think he's that kind of physical talent. He's good, but not that. Here's from Irish Gordian. Not um, what is the bait? Well, actually, he asked somebody else that question, so we'll we'll go to something else. Irish Shy Town, Sean O'Brien. Do you think all the disrespect towards Sam and Notre Dame can actually be a good thing, as it might put some fire in their bellies? I mean, I like ice cream. If you throw the chocolate syrup on top with the whipped cream, I don't need it, but it won't hurt. So that's kind of the way I view all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Them hearing this is not about to hurt, but I don't think it's going to be at the core of their motivation of winning a national championship. I think they're going to get that from themselves. Heck, I think um, what Tim Brown said to them on the practice field last week. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool, by the way. Means, means more, in my opinion, than anything that's being said by outside media. Like, yo, yeah, like if you, if you want it, that's if if you truly want to win, lock in now. Like this is the time you lock in, and that is echoed by uh, Malik. Every time, every player that's ever talked about the seasons during the Brian Kelly era where they felt like they really had a shot, uh, Bennett Jackson. We talked to him last week. He said, coming into that summer of 2012, we felt. We were that team coming into 2015. They felt they were that team. It's something about championship teams. They start to get that feeling right now. Like they don't wait to practice. It's like off season, even in the lifting and team reps, it's just something that's special that happens. And you start to feel and know that you have what it takes to win a championship. So it look, the ice cream <laughs> is the team. The condiments that go that goes on top, you know, rankings, lists, comments about Sam Hartman, all of that stuff is just things that's added on to make the entire dish a little bit better. But I don't think Notre Dame needs the motivation, but it, I'm sure it doesn't hurt to mm-hmm. get the extra motivation. I'm going to sort of agree, but also sort of not agree 
And what I mean is if you need someone to disrespect you to then develop a championship championship mentality, you don't have a championship mentality. Mm -hmm. You don't. If you're just a team going through the motions and you're not fired up and you're not really hungry, it's not going to, it's not going to say, why did you win a championship? Well, we were just kind of going through the motions and then Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman and David Hale all wrote articles about us. And then we decided we wanted to be passionate. Right. I do think football is a little bit of a unique animal in that you find those things that give you that little extra, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. that little, that the disrespect card has always been kind of a thing. I think it's even more true in today's age where kids are looking to be disrespected more because even they're on they social media and stuff like that. You even know? if they make it up. Right. Hit, well, hit. We, Georgia. They said we were going to be seven and five. No like, one said. No one said that. You said, found no some troll said. on a message board for, you know, Arkansas State who said that. Like, no, no one said that. But the thing is, like the 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 Dabo Sweeney, you know, the Roy Bus. Uh huh. They were not. Clemson was not being disrespected at that time. No. They were getting tons of love, but it worked. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: that was already a team. It's kind of like the Jimmy Johnson save Jimmy Johnson's butt for me thing, right? right? Right. Notre Dame was ready to play that game. That was that little extra thing that said, okay, now you're really in for it. Right. Right. But it's not like, like I'll give you an example. We were playing a team, Avert University, and they were a new program. We'd kind of dominated them the year before. And we knew we were going to beat them then as the players thought they're going to beat them again. And, they just weren't that – they were okay, but they were better than they've been, Sean. So, like, we're watching film, and we're seeing some decent things as coaches. And uh-huh. they were just kind of going through the motions. And they had some little linebacker who made, like, 20 tackles a game because, like, if he was, like, sniffed the pile, they'd throw an assist on there for him, right? And it, and then in pregame – and our, I mean, I was like, man, we're just kind of going through the motions this week. Like, I couldn't get my guys riled up. We just weren't – you know, we hadn't quite reached that maturity level yet as a team. And that ended up costing us in the playoffs that year. But this kid stands at half midfield and he's just yapping. And our kids came locker room with a completely different mentality than they had when they went out to the practice field. And we destroyed them. But why? Because we were way better than they were. Yeah. You you could get away with that sort of we weren't ready mentally, but turned it on because we got disrespected against an inferior opponent. You can't do that when it's USC on the other side. If you weren't ready going into that week, I don't care what billboard stuff is said about you. You can get all mad as mad as you want this year going into USC about what Caleb Williams had on his fingernails last year. But if you just now started getting fired up with that mentality the week before the USC game, it's not going to matter. That stuff. And that's where Lou Holtz was masterful. He would start that stuff in the off season. You know, Notre Dame was always the underdog defending national champs, but still the underdog to everybody. There's a reason why he does that and why that stuff works. But it, it's it's what it is, Sean, is it's taking my team and giving them something to focus on at this time when we don't have an opponent to prepare for on Saturday. That's what I think that stuff is good for and where it can help is what's my motivation for ripping it up today? Yeah, I want to get a title, but I need something tangible to be pissed off about. And I think that's especially true today because I think there's like – you need something real to get them mad about because back in the day I could say, Hey, this team said this about you and they had no way to know. Right. I mean, what are they going to do on the internet? What's an internet coach? I don't know what that is right now. It's like, you know, Hey, this guy said this about you. What really? Hold on a second. I didn't see that. 
Can you point me to the article, coach? Can you point me to the tweet? You know, like, so when that disrespect is there, Sean, it's like, okay, this gives me something to point to. You guys think that we're trash? Okay, I'm going to go out there and show you something. I think that's a very real thing in sports. I just don't think it's a a thing that com- d- turns a team into a 180. I think it's I think your ice cream analogy is is a good one because you know, hey, I'm I'm trying to go out there and, and, and win a championship. And and you know, that championship is to me, I would say the championship is the ice cream, right? But I don't don't think I wouldn't like a little extra, you know, some stuff on the top, which is like we beat our rival. This quarterback ran his mouth and we smacked him in the face. These guys wrote bad things about us. So like that championship has a little bit more of a, uh, you know, screw you guys thing to it. But if you needed that to get motivated to win a championship, you're not going to win a championship. Simple as that. And so I think it's good for the summer because I think it gets you through those dogged days of the summer. Because what do they, you th- what do you think that, that, that they're going to be, the receivers going to be more fired up for going out to work out this weekend? That some, some guy just wrote an article saying they're trash or playing Navy. In June, it's that dude that wrote the article saying they're trash. Yeah. Right. So I want to be fired up, but now I got something to kind of, you know, fuel you need the fire, something. Right. Yeah. You need something. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, that's why bulletin board material exists, in my opinion. Ray Holcraft, what Notre Dame quarterback of the past 20 years does Sam Hartman remind you of most? And or is Sam Hartman a combination of several past Notre Dame quarterbacks? What say you, Mr. Davis? Hmm. It's a good one because there's no direct link. The most body type wise, he reminds me a little bit of Ian, right? Yeah, yeah. Scrambling ability is similar to Ian's, but Ian was a little better athlete. Was a better athlete. Yeah. Uh, he's got some Deshaun in him, gunslinger. I mean, Deshaun liked to throw the ball down the field. Yeah, and Sam likes to throw the ball down the field. Uh, throwing motion and accuracy wise, he's not Jimmy, but that's probably the closest comparison from a timing anticipation standpoint. It's probably Jimmy. Yeah. So a little bit. And I'm not saying he's, he's Jimmy Clausen, Deshaun Kaiser, and Ian book all wrapped into one. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's, I don't know if there's one guy that suits all of his, the things that he does well. Right. Um, that's a good call. Yeah. That's a good call. Because no Tommy doesn't there's nothing about him that remind that Tommy Reese reminds me of Dan Christ, Everett Golson, Malik, oh. um uh, Jack Cohn, Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine. I mean, none of those guys have anything remotely similar to me to what to what Sam Hartman is as a player. Oh I just, boy. I don't I know. just wish they had Jack Cohn one more year. Oh I know. Boy. I know. Oh man. <laughs> Or, or in 2021, I wish that they had the coaching staff from last year. Mm-hmm. E- either one. Because that 21 schedule was not hard outside no. of Cincinnati. It was not a hard schedule. Ugh. Uh, Nathan Milton with a super chat. What do you think Harry Hilton looked for in O-line recruits? I have no clue. And we actually asked ourselves this question. We get one last conversation with Harry Heastan. What would be the one question? And I, my thing was, yo, what do you see? Mm-hmm. What is the one? What's the thing that makes you say, "Aha!" about a kid? Like what? What is it? 
Like, what did you see in this kid? What did you see in McGlinchey? What did you see? What made the light go off? That for me, mm-hmm. that would be the one thing I would ask him because I don't know. It's interesting. I think it's a lot of different things and factors that you look for, but it all leads to the light going off for that offensive line coach. You know, whatever it was that got Harry to say, yep, we had a great example in this class. The light went off for Caleb Brewer Mm -hmm. for Harry. Coach Rudolph comes in, not so much. Right. So it's like for me, it's but like clearly man, they were looking at it from a different standpoint of what's yes, what matters to them, right? Absolutely. So right. now I'm like, oh yes, I want to know, Harry, what did you see? Yeah, like what, what? It, well, watching this film, I know what he saw, but right, no, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give my best shot at it, Sean, because I, I, I think I have a, a, a decent idea of, of as you look at the similarities of guys had. I, the number one last year's offensive line class was the epitome of the difference between Harry Heastan and previous coaches. Uh-huh. He wants physical kids. Yeah. Like he wants not just guys that are strong. He wants guys that punish people. Remember, like the one thing we said, like if this offensive line class does not get like a some kind of sponsorship with like waffle, like pancake, some kind of international house of pancakes or, you know, the local pancake house or something. Cause like every single one of them just on the ground, even Joe Otting as an undersized kid was just on the ground, on the ground, on the ground, pancake, 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 punish, punish, punish. I think he likes guys that are really physical, just play the game with a, a demeanor uh, of just, I like, I want to smash you in the face. And I think that was something that was consistent for number one, the guys that he had success with. But when you look at, well, what are the guys that weren't as good as you thought? What were they lacking? And I think oftentimes it was that. Uh, I think he guys likes guys that are have some athleticism. That's why I think he was always a recruit tackles and move them to guard guy. I think that's why he believed in that. He liked guys that can move. Now, he wasn't the guy that was a pin and pull and all that, but he was very much a quickness off the ball, get to the second level, those type of things. And obviously part of that's, you know, foot quickness and those type of things. Uh, he liked guys that – he uh, you could see – you could notice patterns in guys that you thought, man, this guy's a really good player. And one of them was he did not like guys that played high that were a little stiff in the knees and the legs, even if they were, had, even if they were physical and moved quickly. But if they were guys that played high, they weren't Harry Heastan guys because leverage was a, I mean, you've seen practices with Harry Heastan. If he, I've never seen anyone preach leverage more in my life than Harry Heastan does. So I think, I think those are different aspects of, of what he would look for in offensive lineman. And I think some of those things you're going to see most offensive line coaches might look for that, but, but what is the true value? Though all I say, what's the true value? Well, what does physical mean to you? It may mean something to you that it doesn't mean for me. And I think another thing is I think Coach Eastan really liked length. And that ties into the leverage thing. Leverage isn't just about playing high. It's also about leverage goes this way too. It's this way and this way. Or I should say this way and this way. He recruited a lot, got a lot of guys with length. And there were some exceptions. Robert Haynes, he wasn't a super long guy. But most of the guys that coach, Liam Eikenberg wasn't a really long guy. But for the for the most part, he he recruited a lot of guys that were tall and long. And I think those are the things that that I felt were his things that he looked for the most. So it's like the last question in the chat. It's like, yo, it leans into what you're saying. 
Why is he mentioned? Because Harry he stand like right. Uh, that, that's it. Yeah. Harry he stand like them. That's that's good enough. Yeah, that's that's good enough. You know. Yeah. Yep. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Some interesting questions down here to get through, Sean. We got one here from Honked Off Byron Better Than Regular Byron. <laughs> okay. I don't know who Byron is. But uh, all right, here we go. Which of the up this this upcoming weekend's official visitors is the most important land? Kingston, uh, Keyshawn Flowers, Jalen McLean, or uh, Malcolm Ziegler? Number one, I don't think Jalen McLean is going to be coming this weekend. I've said from the minute he scheduled a visit, I'll believe he's going to visit when he visits, and I still feel that way. And all the rumblings we're hearing about the Ohio State visit, don't be shocked if that visit gets called off. Uh, oh, this is a tough one, Sean. I want to say Kingston in a yeah, lot of ways. That's the easy answer, right? But part of me is just I like Ziggler a yeah. lot. And I'll tell you right now, if they end up getting in with Kennedy Erlager, if they add Bronte Johnson and Malcolm Ziggler to this class, yeah, man, my, my you know my feeling about this offensive line class raises enormously compared to where it was with the previous group. Where, 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 you know, with Paul Menke's a good player, but he's more of a high floor, lower ceiling guy. Whereas Malcolm Ziegler to me is a little bit of both. Uh huh. Very high ceiling, very fast, uh, natural football player. Oliver Miles is a is a low floor, high ceiling guy, which is what I think Kennedy Erlacher is as well. Very low mm-hmm. floor, high ceiling guy. Yeah. And I'd feel so much better about a class with Malcolm Ziegler. So, but that's more about the need than it is about the player. Malcolm Ziegler, to me, is not the player that Kingston Villiama Asa is. No. The perception that Kingston brings to the table would be much more impactful. More impactful. Than mm-hmm. what he does as well. But if we're going to so, – so that's my ultimate answer. But if we're talking about most important from a need standpoint, the third safety in this class is far more important to me from a need standpoint than the third linebacker, mm-hmm. whoever the third linebacker is. Like, I, I'll ask it this way, Sean. Okay, so we've already said who the best player is uh-huh. in the perception wise. It's Kingston. Taking look at this question from a different angle. What is better, taking Bradley Shaw and Malcolm Ziegler or Kingston and Oliver Miles? Oh, I like that's Shaw a, a, a lot. Right. What Shaw's problem is, Sean, he's just small. Yeah. Right? He's a heck of a high school football player. He's just undersized. He's so instinctive, yeah. man. He's just small. So you you so you fear it becoming like a Prince Collie 
Prince Collie, some again. of the issues that we've seen with like J.D. Bertrand against some of yeah. the better teams, Drew White, yeah. where good yeah. football players, but just at yeah. times that lack of size and that lack of length can hurt you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's a really good high school football player. He moves well. He's Dog just small. Good. Yeah. And and so uh, that's kind of, you know, but he's yeah, sort of the me. opposite of what they already have in the class. Uh, As Teddy Reese and Bodie Coon are long and rangy yeah. and athletic. They're just right. – Learning football. Well, he's says with Bodie learning football. Teddy's got to fill out his frame. Bradley Schultz, yeah. and have you seen pictures of him, Sean? He's a pretty put-together kid, too. He is. But that's also part of my concern because he's not a kid that you look at and say, yeah, I'm going to be able to put 25 pounds on that right. guy. Right, You know, and that's the concern. Uh, but he's a good football player. Like, Oliver Miles is a really athletic kid. He's just not a great football player yet. He's got a lot of Ramon Henderson to him. So that's what I say. Like, which combination would you like better? I think that's a very fair question. It's a fair uh, question, but, yeah. you know, most people, if I can get Kingston in the class, and the, the reason I say that, the more impactful people you get in the class mm-hmm. defensively could impact other players that you're trying to add to the class that's down the line. And that's that perception piece that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting discussion for sure. It's a good question. It's a good question. Patrick King says, big year for Coach Stuckey. He has proven he can recruit. If as good as a coach, Hartman will flourish. Wide, uh, Wake Forest wideouts could go get it for Hartman. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll say this, Sean. I actually think he can prove he, he proved he can coach last year. I, look, I know that a lot of people define success at receiver by numbers. And to a degree, that's fair. But you can't put up numbers if the ball's not being thrown to you. And yeah. and I yeah. I just feel like when I, like when I watch the growth that Braden Lindsay made in his one year under Stuckey uh-huh. as a technician, when I watch Jaden Thomas look from like a guy against Marshall that just did not belong on the football field mm-hmm. to the way he played in November and in the bowl game technically, when I watch the growth that Deion Colsey made from a technical standpoint, you say, man, there's this guy did a good job coaching. He can't throw the football for him as well. Uh-huh. You know, like he's got a quarterback background, but he can't go out there and throw it. I think the and this is where I think a lot of people. This is partly why I'm more excited about the receivers maybe than other people are, is because I watched we watched the all twenty two Sean film film Sean. We saw these kids getting open. <laughs> we just saw the ball not coming. Yeah, and that you know that like we talk about like there was three plays. I think th- I think it was three against Clemson. Where I'm like Tobias is open by three, four, five yards. Ball just never comes. You know. A part of it was the wind and all. I mean, I get all that, but they're like the Braden Lindsay game against South Carolina. We're like, that's he should have had like seven or eight games like that last year. Man, and that Braden Lindsay's development is enough. Yeah, for me, because a kid like Braden Lindsay didn't have to buy in. Mm-hmm. No, he's on his way out, and it probably made a decision that his career was over. Before the season even started. Yep. As far as football is concerned, let me go make six figures with right. this Notre Dame degree. Right. But he bought in. And you saw, like you said, watching the film, you saw the improvement. So, yeah, I think the buy in that you get yep. from the wide receivers shows, yeah, this guy can coach. Yeah. And, and I think we're going to see a little bit healthier room this year um, from a, everybody being bought in more this year than we saw last year as well, which I think will help also. 
got Mike and Cindy Cleaver. Other than Audric Estime, mm-hmm. which Notre Dame running back has the highest upside or potential to be a high draft pick? This is an interesting one, Sean. What's your? I think I know where you're going to go with this one. Let me let me hear. It. Let me see if I'm right. I'll probably say Jeremiah Love. Okay. Pre-injury was Jadarian Price. Okay, that's exactly going to be my answer. Yeah. Yeah. If Jadarian gets back to being what he was, it could be him. Yeah. It's just an Achilles. You just don't know if that's going to happen. You it's just tough. don't know. Yeah. And Jared, they're both really talented. Yeah. <laughs> really talented backs. Yep. But yeah, that so you you have the same right now. It's Jeremiah. Uh huh. The reason I would go with Jadarian is because I think Jadarian is still a more natural running back. Jeremiah is still learning a little bit some of the intricacies of running back. So as far as college, I think upside and potential to be a high draft pick, you have to look at it and say, okay, who brings the most value in the pass game? And I think that's a part of Jadarian's game that is very underrated. Jadarian was a very good pass catcher coming out of high school. but He's a more natural runner. He's the more mm-hmm. physical player. Yeah. Jeremiah is still kind of tall and skinny. My opinion may change when Jeremiah gets up to 210 and we see him like going in his junior year and you're like that. I remember when he was like 185 pounds, that doesn't look like that kid anymore, but I think it's a debate, but with the injury, it's not really debate anymore yeah. for me. All right, here, here's, here's one uh, Irish right town. Uh, should will Notre Dame take back Osita Guano if he decides to come to Notre Dame from the transfer portal? Uh, n- n- no. Uh, he was he was not gonna be in their plans, and he wasn't even playing linebacker anymore. He was playing um, defensive end. So no, that that one's not gonna happen. Here's here's an interesting interesting one, Sean from Terry Gillery. Would Caleb Williams be even better if he played for Notre Dame than USC? I'd be curious to know what the premise of this was. I, I have a hard say, time saying. I would say no. Yeah, agree. And the reason I would say no is. He would look different. He needs to play the way he needs to play. The, the talent he is at quarterback. He he Lincoln Riley. I don't. It's hard to dis, it's hard I, to argue against that development. And I'm just putting him strong. under Tommy Reese. I'm not sure Tommy. He would play good. I just don't know if it would be as spectacular under Tommy. At Notre Dame, as it would or with, in the future much, Jared Parker. Uh, right. Yeah, I you know Lincoln Riley is like the perfect OC for him to do what he does and to play the style yeah. he does, which is why even though he is the presumptive uh, number one overall pick, right? That style is something that is going to. He's going to – I'm interested in watching him grow this year. Yeah. Because he just can't take the way he plays and take that to the NFL and think he's just going to go and be successful. No, my man, you're going to have to – you have to stop playing off the cuff as much and really lock in and get things done from the pocket. Because all yeah. of that running around that you did against Notre Dame, yeah, you have a short career. You know, he'd be playing in an offense that would not allow him to come anywhere close to the production that he's had at USC. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as yeah. much as I dislike Lincoln Riley, it is hard to argue about against the development he's had at quarterback. I mean, Jalen Hurts looked like a completely different player in the one year at Oklahoma than he did at Alabama. Um, it's just look, I don't like the guy very much, 
at all. I really dislike Lincoln Riley in a lot of ways, but it's just hard to, it's hard to argue against that. Now, would, would Caleb Williams legend be greater if he did what he did at Notre Dame than USC? Sure. Because at USC, there's a lot of recent contemporaries that have kind of put up those kind of numbers. I mean, you know, you, Matt Liner, you know, won two titles and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you win a title at Notre Dame in this era, you're a, you know, win a Heisman at Notre Dame, win a title. It's just a different animal, you know what I mean? Uh, but, I mean, it's, if it's I had a kid different. and he was a, you know, you'd want him to learn from like the, Riley if it his, wasn't, as a, as a quarterback at least. That's like asking us what would Michael Jordan have looked like at North Carolina? As com- in comparison to another top-notch school, Dean Smith, Dean Smith didn't allow his star players to just dominate right. like that. It was in right. a team construct. Yeah, and then when they got to the NBA, all of a sudden they exploded. Right. He might have looked like Carmelo, uh, an '80s version of Carmelo Anthony back then. You know, his yeah. one year at Syracuse. Yeah, correct. That was the old joke: the only person who can stop Michael Jordan from scoring twenty was Dean Smith. <laughs> Dean Smith. But you know what? He won a title. Yeah. I mean, it worked. That worked yeah. for them. That was yeah. his job was to win championships. But yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to go anywhere. Then I mean, I don't know if there's if you take out the person and you just look at the development of quarterback. I I don't know that there's anyone I'd rather my kid play for right now than yeah. Lincoln Riley's a quarterback. The only other person in the conversation for me is Steve Sarkeesian, and that's still not even close. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Day maybe, but I think that's more system driven than anything. Like, I don't know that I would consider Ryan Day a great quarterback's coach. I think he runs a great system. I think Lincoln Riley's both. That's the difference for me as a just quarter. I'm not talking head coaches, quarterback related. Yeah. Here, here's one from Terry Gillery. He's got a couple that are interesting, Sean. If Minchie doesn't beat out Steve Angeli, is that on Gino Gadouli? No, it's on Kenny Minchie. Right. <laughs> it's on the player. Two. Unless I mean, there's a situation where like he's playing great and he's just not getting a shot. But look, development for me, Sean, is about it's part coach, part player. Yeah. And you can lead a, you know, you can you can take a horse to water, but you can't make force him to drink, right? Like no. he's got to make that choice. Yeah. So it's on it's on both of them. But let's not also, but what if there's a scenario where Steve Angeli beats out Kenny Minchie because Gino did a phenomenal job developing Steve Angeli too? Uh-huh. And Steve's you know, gets a lot better. And all of a sudden the, what people think Steve Angeli is, he becomes because Gino does such a great job coaching him. That's the other thing too. Like I'm not as high on Kenny Minch as, as Steve Angeli, some other people. I'm just not, but he's a good sized kid with a good arm, quality athlete, smart, and has leadership. It's not out of the realm of possibility that with the right coach, his game could take off. And Gino did a great job coaching up Kenny Minchie. It just, he, just he also did a great job coaching up the other kids. So there's always context that's required. If if Gino just isn't willing or able to push the right buttons to get Kenny going, yeah, he deserves some responsibility there. But also Kenny's got to put in the work as well. So um, uh, it, it's 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 not a it's not a, a simple yes or no answer to me. Mm-hmm. But I would lean more towards uh, is that on Gino? I would lean more towards no as a quarterback. But that's um, based on what we saw of, of him at Cincinnati. So it's an interesting question. Here's here's the next one from Terry Gillery, Sean, that I thought was interesting. It says, does Dylan McCullough deserve even more props than Chancey Stuckey? 
I'm curious what you're going to say on this one, Sean. More props. I would, I don't know if more, just different. I think the task at hand, I think Dylan McCullough came in and saw that there was production in the running back room, but the running back room doesn't have this or hasn't had this. So do you continue to go and get solid the good running backs and put them behind a dominant offensive line? Or do you say, man, we got this dominant offensive line. Let me up the ante and go get higher ceiling running backs that can do even more damage behind this offensive line. And so I think he's taken that upon himself. And that's what led to Jeremiah Love ultimately mm-hmm. being in the class. Chancey Stuckey, on the other hand, I think had to tear everything down. Yeah. Starting with the current guys on the roster. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, go and recruit and bring in the guys that fits his model of the basketball team uh, focus that he likes to look at things where each type of guy does this and does that for me. So uh, two different tasks. But what Chancey Stuckey had to do, in my opinion, was was a little bit more in depth, I would say. We can we can say they've both done a very good job since they got here, coaching and recruiting, right? The, the I think Sean nailed the difference. Dylan McCullough didn't replace Audrey Denson, and if he did, then the results would be even more impressive. He replaced Lance Taylor, who was a solid recruiter. Tommy Reese really had a Chip Long and Tommy Reese really are a big reason why the recruiting is the way it was. Tommy Reese was the driver of the Logan Diggs recruitment, and Chip Long was the driver of the of the Chris Tyree commitment, but those, but Lance did a solid job. Lance was a driver of the Audric estimate commitment. And, and so, but Lance was a good football coach, a, a better football coach than Autry. And he left, he left Dylan McCullough with a much better running room than he inherited. I mean, you talk about Lance Taylor. What, what was Lance's first year, Sean? Was it 2019? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember what year he was hired. Was it 2019 or 2020? Give me a second. I'm going to look this up. His first year at Notre Dame was in 2019. He's walking into a running back room where it's Tony Jones, Jameer Smith, Sebo Flemister, and Kyron Williams as a freshman because Autry did nothing because you had a running backs coach who told A.J. Dillon, you're not good enough to play running back here, basically. We like you as a linebacker, right? You and I have had this conversation lately. Could you have imagined the 2017 offensive line with Josh or 2017 offense with Josh Adams as your starter and AJ Dillon as your number two back, or AJ as your starter and Josh Adams as your number two back? And then that 2018 team with Dex and AJ as your one two punch. But Autry didn't think he could play running back. And so we I've we've talked about this before. He was a a, a really bad recruiter. And, and I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to besmirch a, 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 an Irish legend. But as a coach, it was not a good situation at all. He left Lance Taylor with a really bad situation. I mean, I just – Tony Jones, Sebo Flemister, Jameer Smith, and Kyron Williams is a true freshman. That was a running back room. Then you fast forward to what Dillon walked into, which is Logan Diggs, Audric Estime, Jadarian Price, and Chris Tyree. 
And, you know, and then Dylan brought in Jabron Payne to help solidify things. That's a whole different animal that you got to give Lance Taylor some credit for. And then now Dylan took it to another level from a coaching standpoint, made him even better, but he inherited a pretty good situation and then made that good situation better. And he's recruited extremely well. And the running back recruiting hasn't necessarily improved under Dylan McCullough as a team, Sean. I would argue that. The difference is, is before the coordinators were the drivers of the current room, where now it's it's Audric. I mean, it, it's it's Dylan. He's the driver of the recruiting success. I mean, you talk to the Love family, and the primary reason that they picked Notre Dame, Dylan McCullough. Same thing with Aeneas Williams, same thing with Kedron Young. Now, that doesn't mean Marcus Freeman doesn't matter and Jared Parker has to play his role and all that stuff is matters. But you said something really early on. Hey, you know you want to play for Marcus Freeman, but that position coach has got to be there too. And that's helped Notre Dame a ton. As Marcus Freeman gets you in the door and this and the other, but the guy that's got to seal the deal has got to be the position coach with the assist of those other guys. The problem in the past is that there was no assist. It's just the assistant coaches were just left onto their own because the, the coaches or the coordinators in some instances like you know Clark Lee wasn't a very good recruiter wasn't a great recruiter you had Brian Kelly so you know you're Mike Elson you're Todd Light some of these assistant coaches you're just kind of I got to do this all on my own kind of thing you know so you got those assists but Dylan's been the driver of the success at running back whereas before it was kind of a an, an OC thing and and so he inherited a great situation now it's like dude make it even better and he has Chancey walked into a train wreck I mean, you'd lost five guys that transferred in a year out of your room. Your, your, your recruiting was lazy. The majority of your class that you even had was because of your coordinators. Chip Long got Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey. Then they decommitted, and then Tommy Reese had to drive to get Deion back. That's a fact. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, he played a role with Tobias, but so did Notre Dame played a role with Tobias. Let's be real about that, right? So he walks into a situation where your guys have not been coached a lick, whereas Dillon walks in where Lance Taylor was a quality football coach. He was. And, and that's why he's at Western Michigan right now. That's why he got an OC job at Louisville, because he's a quality football coach. He did a good job. I think Dillon's even better. But Lance did a good job. Coach Alexander did not. With all due respect, he did a bad job. And Chancey had to – I think you had to deprogram all that and then build it back up with like five scholarship receivers. And the success he had in year one, you could attribute to, well, he did kind of recruit for two years because he was recruiting those guys at Texas. Okay, fine. What's the reason now? What's the reason for Cam Williams and Isaiah Canyon and Micah Gilbert now? Right? So I think they've both done a great job. I'd grade them out equally as far as results coaching and recruiting. But if you want to compare it to the props, to me, the props go more to Chancey Stuckey because he's had to overcome so much more where Dillon is like, you got handed a, a pretty nice situation and you're going to build on it and make it even better. And that's why I would say the answer to that, Sean. So I, I think you and I are on the same page there, but I just don't think people remember. It's, it's crazy. It was not more than... 16 months ago, Notre Dame's receiver room was an absolute train wreck Yeah, when Coach yeah. Stuckey took over. Like, we forget yeah. that sometimes because of how well I think he's done. Uh-huh. But it was a disaster, a disaster, where when Coach McCullough got hired, we were kind of like, yo, 
we get to watch this dude coach up those dudes. This is uh-huh. gonna be fun. Fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh and so where Coach Sucky was like, I don't know who this dude is. And also Coach McCullough's got a long track record of this kind of success. Chancey Stuckey had been a football coach for one flipping year. Yeah. And you threw him into the Lions then that is recruiting receivers at Notre Dame. Uh-huh. That's a heck of a job. Heck of a job. Um yeah, I uh I have to go. I have to go with him. And that takes nothing away from the job that Coach McCullough has done. But following Lance Taylor is a lot better situation than to follow Dell Alexander. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the reality of it. 